God. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, please. Matthew 13, and quite a lengthy chapter. We're going to try to cover as much of it as we can. I, I do not want to force the issue. I'd rather sacrifice um, speed, right, so that we cover it thoroughly rather than sacrificing uh, the opportunity to learn something from all of this. If you are on the PBI WhatsApp group, then you've already received tonight's outline, uh, at least the major portion of it. All it is is a list of the parables. If you're not on the PBI group and you would like that, please feel free to email the church or uh, if you happen to have our church phone, you can WhatsApp uh, that phone number and ask for this list. But I've listed out all the parables. So verses 1 down to 52 are parables, and there's eight different parables. And then there is a second part to this chapter. So part one, parables. Part two, I've named rock of offense. The rock of offense, verses 53 to 58. And we'll, we'll look there, by the grace of God tonight, at uh, how Jesus was offensive to the public around him. All right, chapter 13 and verse number 1. Uh, you know what? Before we do that, let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. We sure do need God's help tonight. Father, please, as we begin our journey through this chapter, we pray that you might shine your light and guide us, Father. Help me, Lord, uh, these parables, um, they, they, they can get deep. Lord, some of these still, I'm begging and waiting for you to give me light. Help me to teach tonight and to make it as clear as I possibly can. Don't let me get in the way, Lord. I pray that you would speak to those that have ears to hear. Father, we want to prepare the ground tonight so that the seed falls on good ground and brings forth fruit unto thee. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 13 now and verse number 1. The Bible says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. That will be the Sea of Galilee in the north. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. So he needed to get away from the crowd a little bit so that he could address the entire crowd. Uh, you can imagine just the, the physical circumstance of this. If he's on the beach, there's, the people are going to crowd around him. He's going to not be able to project his voice to the entire crowd, but just those few in front. So he gets into a boat, and that boat becomes his pulpit. Now the waters must have been quite still, right? Because... I know the times that I've been down to the sea, uh, if, if the waves are crashing, boy, it's very loud and it's, it's very difficult to speak over that. But Jesus, he pulls a little bit away from the crowd so that he can address the whole multitude. Verse 3, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying. Now, before we get into reading this first parable, this is the first time in the, the book of Matthew. And if you look chronologically at the life of Jesus, this is the first time that he uh, goes into a long list of parables as he teaches the people. Uh, from this point on, he will use them consistently. So this is about the midway point of his ministry. And this is, up until this time, Jesus has used a few illustrations, and you can think of those as parables. Uh, but he, there was nothing super deep, uh, I, I think, intended in those parables. But here, he's going to give some, some very important truths about the kingdom but he does it in parable form, and we'll see a little later why he uses parables, why he switches over. But remember what happened in chapter 12. They have accused him 
of being full of Beelzebub. And that's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Jesus said there's no coming back from that. So from this point on, right, they have closed their eyes. Jesus is now saying if you don't want truth, then it's going to become even more difficult to get a hold of. So he speaks in parables and says, verse 3, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Now, please allow me to just read through here. Jesus explains this parable in about 15 verses. So I, we're going to go through the explanation of it when, when we get to that spot. Verse 5, Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. Verse 6, And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. So it was all on the surface. Verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Verse 9, Jesus adds his very familiar tagline to this, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, hold your place here and get Hebrews chapter 5, and I'd like to show you how the writer of Hebrews explains these ears to hear. Hebrews chapter 5. I spoke about this recently as Jesus used that phrase uh, previously. But in Hebrews 5 verse 11, we have some more explanation here. The Bible says, of whom we have many things to say. Now he's referring to Melchizedek, and that's an entirely different story, but he says, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. So addressing this audience, he says, you guys are having an, uh, an issue with your ears. They didn't have ears to hear. Verse 12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So the basics of the, of the Bible. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He says we got to keep going back to the starting line. We have to keep going back and giving you the basics over and over again. Verse 13, For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe or a baby. Verse 14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6, you can see a progression that the apostle or the writer here wants to make. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. He said, guys, we, we can't just talk about the milk all the time. We've got to be able to use the meat of the Word and discuss things that are a little deeper. So the milk of the Word, those are the basics. Those are things right on the surface, easy to get. The meat of the Word, that's where you go beneath the surface and you have to dig a little bit. Uh, it takes a little bit of effort to digest that meat of the Word. This is something we go into greater detail as we learn uh, through the book of Hebrews. But let me just summarize it now. The milk, those are the basic things that are straightforward and clearly pronounced in the Bible. The meat of the Word, those are things like allegories, 
Those are things like parables where Jesus will tell a story, or you can take a historical event from the Old Testament and then use it in types and pictures to teach some other truth. Now, only those that have discernment, those that are familiar, well-grounded with their Bible, they're going to be able to recognize what each thing in the parable or in the allegory represents. You might remember this from Galatians 4. Paul used an allegory with Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael, and we've covered all of that. But those that are well-grounded and that desire to learn more and have the right attitude about the Word of God, they have ears to hear. They'll take it in. Those that are dull of hearing, right, they look at the surface stuff, and even though they've heard it over and over again, it has yet to even fall deep enough to take root. So let's keep working here. Matthew 13, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So now Jesus has purposely put it in parable form so that only those that have ears to hear can hear. Those that don't have the right attitude about the Bible, that aren't hungry for it, they're not going to get it. Jesus is using the parables to make a bit of a division. Verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? So this tells us that this is the first time that Jesus has done this in such a manner in his ministry. Verse 11, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So notice the separation in the two groups. To you, you guys that came and asked questions. It's the guy who who says, Preacher, I got a Bible question. You said this, but I read this, and I don't understand that. Can you explain this? That's the guy. That's the hungry guy. God says, I can show that guy something. He will do something with the truth that he learns. He'll take it and run with it. But the guy who just hears it and, and doesn't do anything with it, looks in the glass, goes away, and doesn't change anything, that guy, he's, he's, he's never going to get out of the starting box. Now notice in verse 11, he says the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To you it is given to know the mysteries. The kingdom of heaven itself, just generally speaking, was not a mystery. It was something that God showed Abraham. And for centuries after that, Jews knew and were looking forward to a kingdom age where the Messiah would rule the world. However, there were various aspects, the particulars, the, some nuances about the kingdom that the Jews were either ignorant of, right, willingly ignorant. That is, it had been revealed, it had been told to them, but for whatever reason, they rejected those things or purposely just skipped over them in their, in their Old Testament or in their Bible, what we know as the Old Testament. Or there might be some, some aspects of the kingdom during, in the days of Jesus that not even the Old Testament, uh, you wouldn't find it there, but Jesus was revealing it uh, through His preaching and teaching. So these mysteries, these nuances about the kingdom, He says, you disciples that are listening have the right attitude about the Bible and about, uh, about Christ, about the kingdom and all of that. You're going to go deeper and deeper into the truth. Uh, verse 12, he says, you know what, forgive me, I want to give you an example of of one thing that the Jews were willingly ignorant of about the kingdom. Uh, And and hence, I believe it fits into the category of one of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. In the Jewish mindset, 
the kingdom was meant for Jews, period. And Gentiles were going to be subjugated and put down and ruled over, and that was it. The idea that a Gentile could come into the kingdom while certain Jews would be cast out, that was a foreign thought. Jesus came and, and started preaching about that. He said it clearly that that would happen. And throughout these parables, he makes it clear that such a thing can happen. And I think those are the kind of things that were mysterious about the kingdom, completely shocked the Jews. Now, verse 12, for whosoever hath, so has what? What does he have? Whosoever has ears to hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. You see, he continues to grow in his knowledge of the kingdom and of the Bible. But whosoever hath not, he doesn't have ears to hear. From him shall be taken away even that he hath. Now, it's amazing how these things line up. We've been covering this in the book of Romans, in Romans 9, how God reacts to, a, to an individual's decisions and an individual's behavior. If a person approaches the preaching of the Word of God with the wrong attitude, if a person has, he, he has no desire to do anything with what he's about to learn, then God, seeing the condition of that person's heart, offers him truth, but upon rejecting it, God says, okay, if you want to have a hard heart, then I'm going to I'm going to give you what you deserve. Now, people might look at this and think, but does God want certain people to not understand the Bible? No, he, that's why the first portion of Matthew, Jesus came out and clearly said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Blessed is he, blessed is this, blessed is that. He made it straightforward, clear, simple, right there, easy to get. Their conclusion, you're full of the devil. He says, is that the, okay. Well, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. So in reaction to their attitude, to their decision, their choice, God says, okay, I'll take away even that you had. They might have understood certain things about the kingdom. But then Jesus shows up and he doesn't fit their, in their mind, in their preconceived notion about what the Messiah would be like. Jesus didn't fit that. So then that person who was looking forward to the kingdom, they end up not only not looking forward to the kingdom, but they say, the word of God, these promises can't be trusted, the Messiah, this, that. They end up farther away from God than when they started because they rejected the advanced revelations that Jesus was giving them. All right, uh, verse 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seen, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Why use parables? It was a punishment. It was a punishment for that evil and adulterous generation. They saw clearly the miracles that Jesus was doing. They heard clearly the message that he was preaching. And because Jesus didn't fit in with what they wanted, they said, we don't get it. Why isn't the Messiah conquering the enemy and giving us the kingdom? Why is he doing the, why is he saying these things? Off they went. Verse 14, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith. Now I'm going to ask you to get this cross-reference. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6. Uh, get that in your other hand in verse 9. Isaiah 6, verse 9. By the way, the attendance code for tonight 
I saw it just now, Hebrews 5, verse 14. Sorry, I meant to give mention that earlier. Hebrews 5, verse 14. Now, you have Isaiah 6 in your left hand, I presume, and Matthew 13 in your right hand. Uh, look at verse 14. Let's read it in Matthew first, and then we'll go over to Isaiah and see how it was worded there. Verse 14, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. It's, it's become gross. And their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes, watch this, and their eyes they have closed. Who closed the eyes? It was the people the, with this gross heart. They closed their eyes. Lest at any time, verse 15, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. That's, that was the desire of God from the get-go, is that these people would fall in line with His plan and be part of the kingdom. But because they came at it with this wrong heart attitude, then it just got worse and worse and worse. And the more preachers, the more prophets that God sent, the harder and harder the hearts of the people got because those preachers would not tell the people what they wanted to hear. These preachers would show up and just give them the Word of God. They didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear, peace, peace. And because they'd show up and say, you're wicked, God's punishing you, they'd say, that can't be right. It got worse and worse. Look at Isaiah 6. Now let's compare. Verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. So that answers to the, the heart becoming gross. Make the heart of this people fat. And make their ears heavy. Now notice God is commanding the prophet to do this. This shows me something. When God wants to harden a person's heart, He uses an external source. I pointed this out the other night with Pharaoh. Preacher, you go tell them, thus saith the Lord. You go tell them this, that, this, that and the other. And God knows that these people with that kind of heart, that they, with their eyes already closed, they're not going to receive the preaching. And it's just going to further them down that path that they have chosen. Verse 10, Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. So notice in Isaiah, this is God's part of it. This is what God will do. He will put this preaching out there, tell the preacher to put it out there. And then in Matthew, what Jesus gives us is the people's side of it. Right? So God plays His part in it. He does His thing. But then the people react to it. So, and I, even as I say the word react, right, when you look at this story, at, at the end, if you look in Matthew 13 and verse 15 at the end of it, it should be converted and I should heal them. People read that sometimes and think Jesus didn't want them to be saved. God didn't want them to be saved. He purposely, He, God, shut their eyes. He made their hearts grow so that they would choose wrong and so forth. And if you only looked, if you atomized this situation and only looked at the end of these people's lives, or let's say at this present moment in their lives, 
you would think, man, why is God making it more difficult for them to, truth, uh, to find the truth? Why wouldn't God make it abundantly easy and make it even easier and easier? Because God is not a pushover. Yes, God is merciful and gracious and loving, but let us not think that He's a big softy, if I can use that terminology. He's not a pushover. He's not a doormat. You're not going to walk over God, treat Him however you want, and expect God to say, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Don't mistake His long-suffering and His mercy for a lack of, of truth and a lack of justice. Right? If you look at the entirety of the lies of these people to whom Jesus is preaching, they have been rejecting truth, rejecting truth, rejecting truth. And now God says, okay, you're going to reap what you sowed. So this is nothing more than God being just and dealing with them in a very fair way. Yes, it sounds harsh, but this is the pit that they dug for themselves. Now, verse number 16, he says, Bless, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So his disciples, the ones that are sticking around after the church service to ask questions, uh, because that's what they did, he says, you guys, your, your ears, your eyes, you're blessed. You, you guys, this is something special that you guys are, are hearing and understanding. Verse 17, he explains why. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So you go back to the Old Testament, uh, not just prophets, but righteous men, as he said, they knew about this kingdom that would come. They heard about the Messiah. And there, there were a few. There were, the verse says many, and there were many prophets and righteous men. But when you compare it to the general public, uh, most people had a hard heart about it. But there were plenty of people that did hear what these prophets were saying and thought, man, this is great. We can't wait for this day to come. And of course, in their lifetimes, it didn't come. They died before. Jesus showed up, but he says, you guys, you're getting to stand here and physically witness and, and hear and see all of these things. You must admit that that would be a blessing, right? I, I shudder sometimes to think about what I would have done and how I would have reacted. Um, it, you, we get to playing the what if game. What if I lived back then? I mean, who knows? It's all hypothetical, but it must have been something to see and bear witness to the actual life of Christ. Verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. All right, so this is the parable, parable of the sower and the seed, and he's going to break it down for us. Let me give you three things, though, that are going to hold true regardless of... There's four different levels to this, and throughout the four levels, there's different things that are used as illustrations of, of others, but the seed is always representing the Word of God. The sower... The, the farmer out there throwing the seed. That's a picture of the preacher, but in this case, that preacher is the Son of Man, is, is Jesus. And then the ground. The ground is always referencing the heart. So those three things are consistently referred to throughout the parable. And then there are some other particulars in there. Verse 19, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, now notice when Jesus, when he had this in parable form, he referred to the wicked one as the fowls, the fowls of the air. But there it's plural. Here it's singular, the wicked one. So this shows us that the devil, 
he operates through his unclean spirits, just as God would sometimes deploy angels to accomplish certain things. And angels are ministering spirits. The devil likewise can do that. But it says, Then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So the wayside hearer, his heart, while he's receiving the message, his heart is in the wrong place. His body is in the right place. He is audibly hearing, right? He's hearing the message. But his heart is somewhere else. He is not seeking first the kingdom of God. That's not his interest. He's interested in anything other than that. So he, he hears the message, but he doesn't understand what's the big deal. How is this going to help me put food on the table today? How does this fix this political problem? How does this fix my marriage? He, does, he has other things on his mind that are more important than the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So because his heart is in the wrong place, he hears the sermon and sees no reason why it should affect him. He says, well, you know, off to the rugby or whatever he's interested in, right? Cricket, God help you. And when that happens, he'll leave church and as soon as he leaves church, he, it's almost, it's, I want to say miraculous, but it's, it's strange how quickly they forget what they just heard in, in the church service. I'm sure if you're like me, you've had moments where you've been sitting in a church service, and because you've been busy all week with something else, your mind begins to stray. Yeah. There's just something more important than hearing what God has to say to us. Your heart's in the wrong place. Now, in this particular situation, this person has heard about the kingdom, didn't get it, right? Didn't get it. The devil doesn't even let him ponder it. He doesn't go home and think about it. He immediately dismisses it. The devil just takes that out of his heart. Off he goes. Why? Because he, he came to church but didn't even bring the right kind of ground. Wayside, you can't plant anything on the wayside. That ground hasn't been broken up. The command in the Old Testament is break up the fallow ground that it may receive seed. Before you come to church, you need to prepare the ground. Now, I don't want to get into a long preaching session because you certainly can, but I'm sure you see how very, very obvious and easy application can be made to any church service today. All of this stuff is still true as far as the practical side of how you receive the Word. Now, verse 20, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Say, Brother Mike, this King James Bible, oh, this English is so deep. Listen, I know that some of these words are not immediately familiar with us or to us, but the word anon, when you read it in Mark's gospel, Mark 4, verse 16, instead of anon, it says immediately. So the Bible, in most of these cases, acts as its own dictionary. And there's really no need to, 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 to worry too much. And if you have to turn to a dictionary and, and look up a word, I don't think that's the end of the world. But this person, he hears the word and immediately, man, he enjoys it. He says, ah, that was great. That makes sense. In verse 21, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. 
For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, that's equal to the sun coming up and scorching it. By and by, he is offended. He's, he stumbles. He's caused to stumble. So this stony ground hearer, right? It's, it's on the surface with him. He hears the word, and in, other, in the other Gospels, in Mark and in Luke, where you have these parables, it says that this person believed, right? He received the word. He received it with joy. He believed, but he had no root. Now, a great discussion can be made as to what it means when it says that he had no root. Does this mean that he, he believed it, he understood, he said, this is a good idea, I think I'll go down this path, but he never really got on board, never actually gave his heart to it, right? And he never, the word didn't sink deep enough to actually save him. Some people take it like that. Others would say, no, no, he believed it, he received it, but then as soon as it became difficult to be a disciple, as soon as it became inconvenient, to be a disciple, heat of the day, he was gone. So you say, well, was he saved or was he not? Yeah, don't know, <laughs> don't know. I would say that somebody in the days of Jesus, right, outside of the body of Christ, I think it's a little easier to say that this, this type of guy is lost. He falls away. Um, you, you have somebody outside of the body, that is before the book of Acts, or somebody in the tribulation time, where the body of Christ is not there. Yeah, I would have to say this kind of guy is, is lost. What about somebody in the body of Christ? Because we read that some will depart from the faith and so forth. We've talked in other classes about the consequences for denying the Lord and falling away. But I will say this, this guy right here, he, at, at first he said the right things. You know, wow, that was a good sermon. Yeah, I believe all of his buddies around him making these wonderful professions, and this guy would probably profess to believe the same thing. But where's the fruit? Some people understand it like this. He believed, but there was no root. That is, he never got discipled. He didn't get rooted and grounded in the Word. And therefore, as soon as it became difficult, he couldn't deal with it and fell away. He just stopped serving the Lord. And is he saved? Well, there's, if he is... If he is, there's no evidence of it. There's no evidence. And I would have a difficult time believing the guy that says, yeah, I, I believe that as soon as it got tough, I quit. Really? Okay, well, if you're saved, there you are. That's all you can say about it. But if I read it right, this guy that falls away, if you know the, the crowd to whom Jesus is preaching, they would have understood it that this guy is not saved. Uh, verse 22 he also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Now this guy, he came to church and the, his heart was there. He was, he was in it. But as he was sitting in the church hearing the preaching, or in this case, standing on the beach hearing the preaching. What an idea. Church on the beach. But as he's standing there, his, his heart is in it. He's listening, and he's actually interested in, in what the preacher has to say. But at the same time, he has all the... Do you see here that the seed fell among thorns? These thorns were already up and, and holding on to his life. The care of this world, deceitfulness of riches. 
in, the, in Luke's gospel, he says it like this, they are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So what happens is the seed falls in among the thorns. And once this guy, he starts to grow, right? The, the fruit starts to come up. But these other things, it gets entangled and it chokes the word and all the nutrients, all the everything the soil has to offer, the weeds, the thorns are sucking it up and the, the fruit that should be growing unto God doesn't have a chance. The thorns choke it and it just dies. Now the problem is he, he started but he didn't finish. He had all the right intentions and he, he really would like to do something about it but he's got so many other things going on in his, in his life he just doesn't have time to devote to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And therefore, he doesn't complete the Christian journey. He doesn't do all of the will of God while he's on this earth. Is he saved? I would say this guy's saved, but he's unfruitful. And therefore, he will, he will lack some evidence, right? There'll be parts of his life you look at and go, man, that looks like a saved guy, but man, he's, I don't know, there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of fruit, but there's more than the, the guy before it. Right? But especially the way Luke worded it, he brings no fruit to perfection. That makes me think of Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. You might want to make a cross-reference to that, where Paul says that his desire is to warn every man and teach every man so that he can present him perfect in Christ Jesus. He, he doesn't want you to just be saved. He wants you to be saved and have fruit and, and walk in the Spirit so that you see the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 23. Now forgive me, guys, we could spend a long time talking about the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. I'm going to trust that you will spend time meditating on the preaching aspect of that verse. Verse 23, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So this guy came to church and he'd already pulled the weeds. He had already dethorned his heart. So you got the guy before here that has, it's a thorn-gripped heart. Yes, there's a part of him that would like to do something for God, but boy, there's a part of him, his affections are not set on things above completely. His affections are spread out. His priorities are messed up. This guy though, this last, this last example that Jesus gives, the good ground, that ground's been prepared. Guys, weeds spring up constantly. It takes effort to get the ground ready to receive seed. You gotta plow, you gotta work, man. It takes some effort. But this guy, he comes with the right heart, attitude, word falls on it, the thorns aren't there. And this tells me that he also tends to his garden on a regular basis. He keeps the weeds out. He continually has to check the ground to make sure the thorns aren't springing up. But this guy diligently applies what he's heard and brings forth fruit right? unto perfection. 30, 60, 100 fold even. Uh, I find it interesting how Jesus breaks it into three categories because there are other instances where Jesus does this. There's another parable in Matthew 25. You read about the servants that were given the talents and 
The Bible talks about one guy having five, one guy having two, one guy just got one, right? Makes another five, makes another two, but the other guy just has one. Five, two, one. There's three groups there. Then you have the parable in Luke 19. Very much the same, but it's pounds. In that case, everybody's given one pound, ten servants given one pound apiece. One guy gains ten pounds, the other guy five. The other guy just keeps the one and doesn't, he doesn't gain any interest on it. Three levels to it. And then you have the apostles. You have the twelve. Then you have the three that form the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And then you have the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John. So there always seems to be three levels to that. And we see it here, 30, 60, 100 fold. It all depends on how much you want to do. It depends on how much effort you put into preparing the ground. It depends on how much of the Word of God you allow to affect your life, to come in, take deep root, water it, till the, you know, watch over the garden, keep the bugs out, keep the weeds out. It, that's, it all depends on you and how much you want to do. But let, I'll just ask you this very practical question. Are you one-third in? Are you two-thirds in? Or are you all in? Because that's the way it kind of sounds to me, right? One-third, two-thirds, all the way, 100%. Now, verse number 24, we move to another parable. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying... Now, again, we're just going to read through this a little bit quickly because the explanation comes later in the chapter. There are a few things I'll mention as we go. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came. Now, the sleeping here, Jesus doesn't elaborate on it later. I believe... If I understand the whole picture correctly, it's referring to spiritual drowsiness while men slept. Right? Paul told the Thessalonians, sleep not as others, but be diligent, be vigilant, uh, be, uh, watch and be sober, he says. And men sleeping, this would be, they're not paying attention to spiritual things. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way. Whew! Go into another man's field and, and plant seeds? Back in the days of Jesus, you, you could be killed for doing such a thing. I don't know what the penalty is today. I can't imagine it would be, very, <laughs> be uh, handled very well, but this is a horrible thing to do to somebody. Verse 26, But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appear the tares also. So here are the first fruits coming up, and then you got these tares, which tares, I'll let you go on the internet. You can just put in wheat and tares, and you'll see they, do, they look very, very similar. And me, I'm not a farmer. If I stand back a little bit, you know, I, I don't know, 50 meters, and look, tares and wheat are the same thing. Now, if I get close enough, because I've seen it on the internet and I've, I've seen it in real life as well, I could probably tell the difference if I look really close, really close. But to the untrained, uh, casual observer, it's all the same. You know how most people see church and religion and Christianity? Yeah, they're all the same. That's how most people see it. It brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Verse 27, So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst, thou, uh, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? 
Notice the accusation is against the owner of the field, the good man. He says, sir, didn't you, didn't you sow good seed? There, you're, our, I don't know what it is about mankind. Our first inclination is to think God messed up. God's plan didn't work. God made a mistake. Uh, verse 28, he said unto them, an enemy hath done this. We have to factor that in. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then uh, that we go, or yeah, will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. All right, now, this, the owner has said, You're going to have to let them both stand in the field together. Let's get verse 30 with it. You'll see a little bit more. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So I think this is a great example of Romans 9 verse 22. The owner of the field, who is God obviously, says let them both grow together. Let's give it time. Romans 9.22 says this, What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? They fitted themselves to that end. They put themselves in that position. And God puts up with it for a while. Why? Why doesn't God just put an immediate stop to it? God has put the seed down on the ground. And when He... When God sends forth His seed, it will accomplish that which it is supposed to do. Right? The book of Isaiah, chapter 55. God's Word will achieve its, its intended end. So in the Old Testament, you have several prophecies about the world pushing towards a new world order, a one world government that has come together against God. You have all these prophecies in place surrounding the end times, all these things that need to happen before the kingdom can be established. If God cut it short and said, okay, forget it, too many tears, just go and rip up the field and let's, let's get this over with. In so doing, God would be causing those prophecies to fail. Well, what is our faith based on? What is it rooted in? It's rooted in His promises in his prophecies our faith is rooted in his word if god doesn't fulfill his word he's ripping up the foundation of those who believe we believe that the scripture cannot be broken and that god's word cannot fail if god says it then he's not like a man he'll do it so god has to let these two grow together and then in due time god don't worry in due time when the time is right God will come and separate the wheat from the tares. And we'll talk more about that in just a few verses. Uh, verse number 31, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which, if a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof." Now, people sometimes raise an issue with Jesus saying this is the least of all seeds. That The Greek word for least 
is mikros, where we get micro, right? M-I-K-R-O-S in, in Greek, if you want to just transliterate it. But that, that word can mean small as in physical size or small as in not important. Whatever the case is, whichever thing he meant, in Jesus' time, among those people, this was considered the smallest seed. Now, whether or not there are smaller seeds out there, I don't know. That's not something I'm expert in. But I do know that it was true of the time, the day and age in which Jesus lived and the area in which he lived. Now, I've, I'm drawing here a dot on my finger. I hope you can see it. That's about the size of a mustard seed. It's incredibly small, right? And when that thing is fully grown, most herbs, I don't know if you've had an herb garden. We have one just outside the, the wall here. They're not big, right? These plants grow maybe, you know, uh, I, I don't know what that is, 20 centimeters? Not, not big, They're some a little taller. Herbs do not generally grow into massive things. This mustard herb, this, it, it doesn't stay a bush. It grows, I, I, I was blown away when I looked at it today. These trees, full-blown, tall trees like you'd see in any forest. I mean, massive things. Jesus says, you take this small thing that most people would write off and say, nothing's going to come of that. And it turns into this massive thing. Now, what is the mustard seed? Well, I, I think there's two ways to go here. You can, you can look at Abraham and say, that's where the Jewish nation started, right? Little old Abraham, Ur of the Chaldees. You wouldn't expect something massive to come from that. Here's a man that can't have children up to the age, of, you know, to his latter days. And then he, even Abraham is doubting whether or not God's going to fulfill that promise about providing a seed. And he says, I, one day you're going to have seed like the stars of the sky. You're going to have so many descendants. So we might see it as Abraham, that small seed, turning into this massive nation, and eventually, right, Israel gets elevated during the millennial period, and, and it's the chief nation on earth in that time. So you might think of it that way. But I, I think there's another way to think of it. Jesus, he's this lowly Nazarene, right? Everybody writes him off as just one of, I mean, not even the common stock. He's, he's considered lower than that. We're going to see at the end of the chapter, people said, isn't he just the son of a carpenter? I mean, this guy, who is he? He's not a big deal. He doesn't have a great education. He doesn't have any official, you know, um, decree, a, a degree when you accredit. He doesn't have an, a, an accredited degree or anything. This is a nobody, small seed. But he turns into king of kings, lord of lords, that blessed and only potentate. So I, I think both, both views would be true. Now, what about the birds of the air? They come and lodge in the branches. Well, earlier we had a parable where Jesus talked about the fowls of the air, and it was likened unto unclean spirits. So I've heard some people plug that into this and say that the, the body of Christ right now is filled with false teachers, false preachers, bad doctrine. Those are the birds of the air. Um, I'm not quite sure that's what Jesus is driving at here. But uh, let me ask you to come to Ezekiel chapter 17. I want to show you a, I believe is a good cross-reference to this. Ezekiel 17. And the entire chapter is about a tree. And it's, it's, a, 
in this chapter is called a riddle in verse 2, but it's actually it's a parable, another way to look at it. And come down to verse 22. Let's just read a few verses starting there. Ezekiel 17, verse 22. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar and will set it. I will crop off the from the top of his young twigs, a tender one, and will plant it upon an high mountain, an eminent, it's elevated. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it, and it shall bring forth boughs, that, those are branches, and bear fruit and be a goodly cedar. Israel in the Bible is likened to several different trees. Some people say it's just the fig tree. No, it's not. They're likened to an olive tree in one place. Here, they're likened to a cedar, another place a fig, uh, different trees. It says, And be a goodly cedar, and under it shall dwell, watch it, all fowl of every wing, and in the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, and have exalted the low tree, and have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. So what you have in the millennial kingdom, Israel is the chief nation, Jesus he is king of kings, right? But his throne, he's ruling over the entire world, but his throne is situated in Jerusalem, the throne of his father David. That's his headquarters. The Bible tells us in many places in the Old Testament that all the nations of the world will flow to Jerusalem. I showed you a verse not too long ago in Zechariah 14 about how all the nations have to come back and keep the Feast of Tabernacles once a year. Uh, I'm going to give you another list of verses now. All of these verses show the Gentiles flowing to Jerusalem and, and to Israel. Uh, Isaiah 2, verse 3, very clear. Isaiah 49, verses 22 and 23. Isaiah 60, verses 3 to 11. And Isaiah 66, verses 10 to 14. It's all, I've, I've just giving you uh, verses from Isaiah there, chapter 2, verse 3, 49, verse 22, 23, 60, verses 3 to 11, 66, verses 10 to 14. But they all show this truth that once Israel, once Jesus has come back, Israel is now elevated. It was the low tree. Now it's the high tree. It's flourished. All the Gentile nations flow into it. I believe that's what you're dealing with, with the birds of the air come and, and dwell and lodge in the branches thereof. All right, so come back to Matthew 13 again and verse number 33. So we go from a, a slightly difficult parable. Jesus didn't interpret that. So, of course, we do the best we can with, with the other verses of the Bible to help us. Watch verse 33. It, it gets even more difficult here. Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Full stop. That's it. That's all that he said about that. You have this in another gospel, I think in Luke's. You don't get any additional information. Oh, when we get to heaven, there are certain questions that I would like to ask the Lord. Some are more important. But this is on the list, right? <laughs> What did he mean by that? There are several different, um, several different interpretations that I've, I've heard. Let me give you the positive spin, and I'll give you the negative spin. All right, positive spin. Some people take it like this. The woman is the church. 
Makes sense. The leaven is the gospel. Ah, that's a tough one. And the woman goes and hides the gospel in three parts of humanity, Ham, Shem, Japheth. Right? That, those are the three people groups. That covers everybody. And eventually the whole world gets evangelized. The problem with that, right? That sounds nice, but the problem with that is we know that the whole world might hear the gospel, but to say that the whole thing gets leavened and everybody becomes Christian, well, if you look at, at the kingdom time, yes, then by that point you have uh, the, the population of the world believing in Jesus, but I'm not sure that you could say it's through the efforts of the church evangelizing that that happens, right? There's, there's that period of tribulation. Jesus comes back. There's other factors to that. So that's a tough one to, to go with. The negative spin. The woman is a church, but not the right one. It's, it's the wrong one. It's the one world church of the Antichrist. It's this spirit of Antichrist that has been working since the days of the apostles. Right? So Revelation 17, you read about this woman that has Babylon, Mystery Babylon, written on her forehead, and she's called the great whore. And she takes the leaven of false doctrine, which Matthew 16, verse 12, Jesus did use leaven to illustrate the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So leaven is, is a type of false doctrine. That makes sense. They say that this woman hides her false teachings, this leaven, throughout the world. Again, you could say the three people groups. And thereby corrupts the whole thing. Leaven, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump, right? All those verses about leaven. Leaven is always used to picture something bad in the Bible. It's either doctrinal corruption or moral corruption. But I'm going to leave my mind open enough to, to this fact. There are some things that are used as, as, a, as a bad illustration, and then you can read another story where it's something good. For instance, without our dogs, beware of dogs. Uh, give not that which is holy to the dogs. Dogs are bad. But then you have the woman in Matthew 15 that said the dogs eat from the, of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus blessed her for taking that position. So there the, the dog wasn't actually a bad thing, right? It was a, hum, it was a picture of a, a, a humility. So maybe the leaven is something good. I, I'm going to throw one more idea out there. Um, what if the meal, right? this corn flour, what if it is a picture of the Bible, the bread? Because that's what you make the bread from, right? It's that flour. Right? So there, there you have, the, and, and also in the Old Testament, meal is a very good picture of the nation of Israel. 1 Kings 17, verse 16, Isaiah 47, 2, Hosea 8, 7. There's some verses that back that up. But it is Israel, right? They were given the oracles of God. So Israel and the Bible go hand in hand there. The Old Testament has three parts. The law, the prophets, the writings. Right? Jesus pointed this out, Luke 24, verse 44. He said the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, which is the, what we call the writings. So what, and the woman, say, so who's that? In the Old Testament, you'll find this in the book of Proverbs especially, that wisdom is referred to in the feminine. Proverbs 7, verse 4, call wisdom uh, your sister, 
Proverbs 8 verse 1, Proverbs 9 verse 1, it says she builds her house. So wisdom is referred to in the feminine. What if the wisdom of God hides the mysteries of the kingdom in the three parts of the Bible, which at the time of Jesus, that's all they had, right? Was the, those three, three parts I've mentioned of what we now call the Old Testament. And he put those mysteries in there uh, that, that would allow for and bring and lead us up to the time of Jesus where he would establish the kingdom. The whole thing is leaven. I, I still struggle, though, to say that that's leaven. That's the tough part. But let's read a couple of the verses. Maybe that will make sense. He said, but, but pastor, won't you tell us exactly which one's right? No, because I don't know. I don't know. This is one of those things where I think we're just going to have to wait until it's completely fulfilled. Then we'll look back on it and go, oh, that's what he meant. Sometimes that's how, that's how it goes. Verse 34, all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, now he's, he's quoting David here, uh, I say David, it's Psalm 78. Let me just check real quick. That might have been one of Asaph's. I think it was. Psalm 78, verse 2. Yeah, it's a Psalm of Asaph. That's why I said the prophet. Um, so Psalm 78, 2, you can look that up later if you'd like. And actually that context will help you with this. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Every time I've read this passage, every time, I take verse 33 by itself, verse 34, 35 as a separate issue. And maybe it is intended to be that way. But today, for the first time, when I looked at this, it really caught my attention. At the end of verse 33, the woman took and hid in three measures. She hid it. But then in verse 35, things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And in verse 11, he called them mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's what makes me think maybe he's referring to those three sections of the Old Testament where these mysteries were were hidden. Things kept secret from the foundation of the world, but slowly, as time goes on, progressive revelation. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But Jesus, by using parables, it did. Uh, Asaph, right, he, has, he was using the history of Israel as a parable. Uh, that's something you get when you study that, that psalm. But uh, Jesus is fulfilling that verse in the fact that he used parables in his uh, ministry. All right, verse 36. I'd like to at least get down to verse 43. That's just, this won't take long. It's just the uh, explanation for the parable of the wheat and the tares, and then we'll, we'll stop there for the night. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Honest Bible questions, Jesus never minds. I love this part of, of the ministry. After church, people coming and asking questions, tell me more, tell me more. That's a blessing. Verse 37, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Now, as I said, as time goes on, any preacher could fit into that because we are, we are preaching the words of Christ. But at this time, the way Jesus is intending it, He is the one doing the preaching. The field is the world. So his word was intended to go everywhere. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. So that 
Notice now the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Before the seed was the word of God. It's what he was preaching. Now the seed are the children of the kingdom. So we're dealing with people that have accepted the seed of the word of God. It's been in their heart. It has changed them. And now they are prepared and ready to enter the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The wicked one, Satan, he's the great imitator. So tares look very much like wheat. And you have to really examine closely to see the difference. But if you eat what comes from a tear, it makes you incredibly nauseous. It can get you very sick and vomit, all of that stuff. It's bad. It's very dangerous if you partake of it. But man, it looks almost like the real thing. Verse 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. That tells us the context because in Matthew 24, they asked Jesus, what are the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? And he explained to them things that will take place during Daniel's 70th week. That is that those last seven years before the Lord comes. Verse 39, and the reapers are the angels. Uh, again, in Matthew 24, we'll see more how the angels help uh, Jesus when he comes back, the, the part that they play. Verse 40, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. So this world, that, that Greek word that gives you world, it's eon, which is another, you can also translate it as age, or it refers to a time period. Now, that is, you can learn that from the Greek, but you don't actually need the Greek for that. You can just look at how that phrase or how that word is used this world or in the world to come, you can see how Jesus is referring to various ages. The end of this age. So there's the age when Jesus is on the earth, right? He's preaching. This is before his death, burial, resurrection. And then the age to come, that's when he's back on the earth ruling over everything. Uh, so it says, so shall it be in the end of this world. Verse 41, the Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be we uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, verse 41 is interesting. It says, they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend. These then, are, are the tares, are people that actually survive the second coming, the battle of Armageddon. They actually make it through that horrible disaster, that decimation of the Antichrist and his army, and they, go, they are alive into the kingdom age. Jesus is getting everything set up, every, you know, it's a, a complete rebuild and renovation of the world. This then is the guy in Matthew 22, verse 13, that tries to get into the wedding feast, but doesn't have a garment, and he gets cast out into outer darkness. This is a goat, Matthew 25, 41, where Jesus calls the, the, the people to his throne for judgment. And the sheep, on the right hand, they get to go into the kingdom, they, can, they shine forth. But the ones on the left hand, he says, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Jesus is already back. He's already there. He's established his position as king. But now he's going to sever. He takes the tares out first, bundles them up, off they go into the fire, and then the righteous shine forth. I'm just going to read you the verse as we close. But this, 
the righteous shining forth, Daniel chapter 12 and verse number uh, 2 and 3. Uh, forgive me. I'm, yeah, yeah, that's right. 2 and 3. Uh, it says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Broad description of, of, of two different resurrections. Verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So I assume this has something to do with the glorified body that people will have um, because there is going to be a resurrection uh, right about the time that Jesus comes back, right? The righteous Jews from the Old Testament resurrect. And it could be, it could be that those people who lived through the tribulation, that somehow, I, uh, this, a little bit of guesswork, somehow their bodies, they get a new, newer or new-ish body, maybe a full-on glorified body. Maybe they eat from the tree of life. I, we'll deal with that more at another time. Uh, but they're going to have a glow about them as they go into the kingdom. That, that much we know just from what Jesus has said there. All right. Uh, we'll stop there for the night. I was hoping to make it all through, uh, through all the parables, but we did the best we could. Uh, if you guys have any questions, feel free to put them in here. I'm going to restart it to see if there are any. And uh, if not, we'll pray and we'll end for the night. Church on a beach, yes. Okay, I don't see any questions. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll let you guys go for the night. Father, thank you this evening for allowing us to look at these things. Please, God, at the very least, remind us to prepare the ground, to keep it free of weeds, to keep the world out of it. Father, in due time, we'll understand all these verses, right, in the sweet by and by. But until then, Lord, help us to use what we do know. You've taught us plenty. Help us, God, to be aware that there are tares out there. They talk and sound and act like Christians, but they're not. There's opportunities all around us to try to give the gospel to people while there's still time. Lord, help us to be busy about your business. And I pray for Garrett tomorrow night. God, guide him as he teaches. and. Uh, prepare all of our hearts for what we're going to receive tomorrow. Thank you for this privilege of knowing you and having your word. In Jesus' name, amen.